You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1319 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. And also, Locked on Hawks, along with all of our other Atlanta podcasts, are now available on Roku and Amazon Fire TV as part of Locked on Sports Atlanta. More great local coverage in the sports world 24-7, and it's free. Download the Locked on Sports Atlanta app today on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And today's show will be kind of a uh, catch-all of so of sorts. We're now into October officially. The Hawks are, of course, across the pond in Abu Dhabi right now in advance of their back-to-back games against the Bucks across the way at this stage. They play Thursday and Saturday in terms of Eastern time. And I was actually in uh, in attendance for the last practice before they went across the pond on Friday. So we'll have some in- some thoughts and insight from that. Some mailbag questions coming up as well. The uh, opening line is out for the opener against the Houston Rockets at home. We have some projection talk later on and, uh, you know, a, a sort of controversial list. Lots of different things on today's podcast, but uh, thank you for joining us as always on the show and making us your first listen each and every day. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast across platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course, YouTube on the video side. And we'll start today's podcast with a little bit of news. So on the last practice day before the Hawks went across the pond on Friday, I was in attendance and uh, following up on some things. Of course, they've had a little bit of, uh, of illness going through the team in the training camp stages. DeJounte Murray famously missed the open practice with an illness, as did Trent Forrest. And then Jalen Johnson was out with some illness concerns um, on Friday. Uh, it was alerted to us in the media that were there that Jalen Johnson and Trent Forrest both missed that final practice and both had been ill before that. So I asked Nate what has kind of been happening with that. Um, that was Friday, by the way, and I reported – at about 5 a.m. this morning, some more detail on that. But uh, in the meantime, here is uh, what Nate had to say about Johnson and Forrest missing the practice and uh, not being able to travel, it seems, to Abu Dhabi. Are there any challenges with guys not feeling well as you're about to board a, an international flight like that? A couple guys, they're not. Yeah, well, they can't travel. They can't travel uh, because they're not allowed to uh, come around the team right now. So it's a 24-hour uh, deal uh, and you know, as soon as they feel better uh, depending on where we are in the trip we will make a decision on if they can if they come over and join us so again that was a Friday midday uh, piece of audio slash video from Nate McMillan um, I reported this morning in fact right before this podcast is being recorded before I even go to work it's very very early in the morning on Monday as I'm recording this I reported about 5 a.m. that I was told that neither Johnson nor Forrest are expected to travel to Abu Dhabi at this point in time. As you heard there from Nate, there's a little bit of uncertainty. They left the door open for those guys to potentially go over, whether it be commercially or however that would have worked out because they could not travel with the team with the illness that they have. But at this point, it does appear like neither will make it over there. Obviously, not that big of a deal. It's preseason games, but I'm sure that both guys would have liked to have had that experience to be across the pond with their team and uh, be there for you know a week and a half or so. It's, it's a long time to be away from practice and all that fun stuff. And I know that Hawks fans want to see Jalen Johnson. And the Hawks do have two more games, though, in the preseason to evaluate him and the practices and all that fun stuff. 
but uh, hopefully he has the inside track to back up four minutes when, with regards to the roster at this point in time. And uh, the, the biggest thing is those, those guys start to get feeling better at the stage. But um, after some optimism that they could travel over in the couple days after the Hawks left, there was always going to be sort of a point of no return where they would not travel over there, which seems like that's been the case now on this Monday morning. Elsewhere, in terms of sights and sounds from that practice, uh, Nate McMillan uh, also spoke to us about a couple of different things. Lauren Williams of the AJC asked Nate about how much the rotation decisions early in the season are based on what they see in practice versus games. He gave sort of a pretty generic answer about that using both and talks about how he'll listen to the front office when asked about that by Lauren. And McMillan made it clear that it was his final choice as to who is playing and when this season. Also, uh, an update on AJ Griffin, who had been uh, out of the open practice, etc. Here's what Nate had to say about AJ. AJ did go through a lot of play today. He scrimmaged. Uh, uh, he was limited in what he could do, but he pretty much uh, went most of the practice. So it's good to see him back out. From what you saw, what, how do you think he did? And, you know, especially going up against a bit more experience than what he might be. Well, he hasn't had the opportunity to play, so it's really his first time getting out there, and he's anxious to get out there. You know, he missed summer league this year, and then he yeah. missed the first part of. Uh, of training camp, so he was excited to just get out there and play with his his teammates. And uh, you know, I like what I saw. It was good to see him out there. Later on, I asked what they're taking into account when considering how much to actually play guys in the preseason, because of course, there's always sort of a delicate dance there with your best players, a la Trey Young, Dejounte Murray, and more. So here's what Nate had to say about how they'll handle that. What kind of goes into how much your regulars play in the first couple of preseason games? Like, how do you decide? We only have four preseason games, so I, I want to get these guys minutes. Uh, you know, we'll, we will see how they feel, you know, far as uh, if they have any types of injuries or tweaks. But I think I need to get uh, all of our guys, uh, you know, minutes out on the floor, certainly that first unit, uh, getting some minutes in the game because we only have four preseason games. And then some insight on DeJounte Murray, who, of course, is the big ticket acquisition for the Hawks at this stage. I'm going to play some audio for you. You're going to hear the voice of Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com and ATL on 29. And uh, here's what Nate had to say about DeJounte. What have you seen from DeJounte now that you've you know, had him in camp to, the, to this point in camp? I, I think he's a leader. I think he, you know, he has a voice, but he leads by example. Uh, I mean, his his uh, presence out on the floor uh, uh, commands respect. Uh, I think the guys uh, that he's played with, which is mostly that first unit, uh, they've responded to him being out on the floor. Uh, he has been comfortable with, uh, you know, kind of running the team. And uh, I like what I see. You know, he brings a lot of energy. Uh, I think he brings a toughness, uh, you know, to the, to the lineup. And he certainly brings a defensive presence uh, to the lineup. So uh, it was good to see him back out there uh, today as well. Some pretty positive stuff there from Nate talking about leading by example and his presence on both units and kind of the response to him. Clearly an infusion of talent beyond all else, but also a guy who's been around the block for a while, played in a good organization with the Spurs. And uh, he did miss the open practice, of course, with the illness, but he's back and um, seemingly finally on all soldiers at this point in time. Elsewhere in that practice, uh, Ayaka Kongwu spoke to the media, and the audio is pretty rough, so I'm going to kind of just pass along kind of what he said there. He backed up a lot of what Nate said about DeJounte, calling him a, a leader already, so he'll be a strong locker room presence, and uh, no surprise there for a vocal, vocal guy like DeJounte. He talks about working on a jump shot a little bit, first with mid-rangers, of course, and hopefully out to three-point range eventually. He talks about him, himself being a hard worker, which has certainly been backed up from what I've heard around the team, and how that should certainly play into things. 
Kevin also asked Akonwu about playing with Jalen Johnson. He talked about the advantages of having the two of them together with that real burst athleticism and versatility playing together. He talked about sort of being young and able to counteract other front courts that might be bigger than them, but also the fact that they are sort of coordinated and able to kind of be versatile and fly around the court. So uh, I know I'm looking forward to see that that pairing together. Jalen, I'm not sure about defensively just yet in terms of awareness, but clearly has a lot of talent and a lot of burst. And the Kongwu has really, really impressed everybody when it comes to both his burst athleticism, but also the way he feels the game defensively, which has also always been something that I've been really high about with regard to a Kongwu and his defensive profile. So just some sights and sounds there from the last practice. Obviously, there are no media from Atlanta on the trip to Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's all team run stuff. There is some social media stuff happening from the Hawks. I know that on Instagram and Twitter, et cetera, you can sort of follow their journey there, but no, uh, no impartial media on that trip. So we're kind of, uh, sort of kind of flying blind until the games actually happen on Thursday and Saturday, but we'll sort of check in with anything else. And uh, I was told again that, uh, that Johnson and Forrest are not going to go over there. So that was sort of the big highlight of the last couple of days when it comes to news. All right. We'll have more coming on the show, including opening lines and some mailbag questions, et cetera. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. And these days, every new hire potentially could feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have the access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. I've had to hire a few times for a couple of things in the last couple of years, and LinkedIn has proved to be an awesome resource. It's incredibly easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs, and they have high-quality candidates that you need to, make, to locate and really to find the best people that are possible to make that hire. Then once you set up, add the job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're actually hiring. LinkedIn Jobs has simple tools and screen questions that make it easy to focus, focus on candidates that have the right skills and experience to help you quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and then eventually hire. You want to finish the year strong and finding the right team member is a key piece of doing just that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires against leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to, and they help you do it faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, and our friends at Bet Online released some game odds this week. Obviously, it's a little bit early. The Hawks don't play for two and a half weeks as I record this podcast, but the openers are now out. And the Hawks are currently nine and a half point favorites against the Houston Rockets at home. If you're not a big gambler, it's a pretty big number for a season opening game, uh, especially for a team that does not have major Ill injuries at this stage. The Hawks, of course, have some uncertainty with Bogdanovich, but the Rockets don't have any major injuries and the Hawks are still almost 10 point, 10 point favorites in that game at home. Houston's not going to be great this year by any means, but it is the second largest line of any opener in the NBA, according to Bet Online, with only the Minnesota Timberwolves being a bigger favorite against the Oklahoma City Thunder at home. And that one is very obviously aided by injury. Um, there's some uncertainty with Shea Gilles Alexander, their best player, OKC, and also Chet Holmgren is out for the season for the Thunder. So that is kind of what playing playing in there. So one of the uh, easier openers on paper in the NBA. Nothing is assured always, especially that early in the season. There's a lot of uncertainty, but the Hawks should be in a pretty solid position to get an opening night win potentially at home. Not much else to kind of take away from that other than Houston is not going to be great this year, but the Hawks are the better team. They're playing at home and a lot can change. The Hawks will play four times between now and then. They might, we'll probably get more information on Bogdanovich. More other more uh, sort of injuries can happen. Illnesses can happen, et cetera. But right now that is looking like a fairly comfortable opener when it comes to uh, all things considered at this stage. Um, elsewhere, Kevin Pelton of ESPN has been on this podcast before. Shouts to Kevin Pelton, very smart guy um, in, sort of, in terms of the numbers and the analysis of the NBA. 
He talked about the, his projections and on a recent podcast in late September. I talked about a few of those things. He teased, he teased some numbers. We talked about it then. But ESPN finally published its advanced projections of Pelton's numbers at the end of last week, and they are pretty interesting in terms of the win totals and projections for the teams across the NBA. I have heard KP say this before, so I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere, but he's pointed to this in terms of the inconsistency. The last few years with the COVID seasons, uh, last year, sort of that dip in the middle of the year where like half the teams in the league were ravaged by COVID. Also, the shortened seasons. All of the modeling is kind of a little bit out of whack compared to previous years. A lot less data that's reliable at this stage. And Pelton's formula is a combination of his player projections and also the three-year luck-adjusted RAPM metrics. So um, he even said, basically kind of couches a little bit, it's not like there's the same confidence level now that there used to be a couple of years ago about this because of also a big thing beyond that is like guys are playing less in terms of the uh, the stars in the league. There are There's more uncertainty with guys missing time with COVID absences and injuries and just rest days. So all that said, the big thing to keep in mind beyond that is that models like this really tend to bring teams to the middle in terms of actual one projections. For example, the number one team in Pelton's Western Conference projections is 49 wins. Now, there's almost no way that's going to happen. I think he knows that. I'm sure he knows that, actually. But for projections' sake, if you do, it's kind of like the same thing that happens in baseball. I know for a long time, Pakoda, the baseball prospectus, system always kind of brought teams to the middle. There were not always projected teams. They're going to win 98 to 100 games, even though almost every year somebody will actually do that. And only one team in Pelton's projections, which is the Celtics, by the way, has more than 50 wins. And even that is not taking into account anything with the head coaching change there in Boston with the Udoka suspension. So the gap between two and eight in the East in Pelton's projections is seven total wins between number two and number eight. That's a very small gap. The gap between number one and number eight in the West is seven wins. Now that's probably not going to happen, <laughs> but alas, everyone knows that they're bringing things to the middle. So everything's bunched up. Keep that in mind. But anyway, I'm bearing the lead here. The Hawks are number five in the Eastern Conference in these projections behind the Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Raptors, actually, in that order. Pelton wrote earlier that he projected the Hawks for number two in the league in offense. That's where they were last year, by the way, number two in the league. I don't know who's number one. Um, last year was Utah. Well, not Utah, Utah this year because they've uh, sort of tor- torn things down. But number two in the league in offense. And then Pelton has the Hawks jumping to number 19 in defense, which is not fantastic, but that would be notably better than they were last year with the addition of DeJounte Murray and Justin Holiday and the absence of Gallinari and another year from Okongwu, et cetera. The, de- the defensive talent is definitely better for the Hawks this year than it has been in the past, but um, all of the questions kind of revolve around how much better. Can they be league average? Can they be top 20? Can they be top 12? Um, those will kind of all dictate how good they could be this year because if they're 26th again in defense, there's a pretty hard ceiling on how good a team can be when they're that bad defensively. But if they're 19th, they can be a 51 team. That, that's possible with the uh, way things are on their offensive side of the floor with Trey Young keying everything there so he does have the hawks less than a win ahead of the heat in the net so not a huge gap there between like five and seven in the east but it's definitely one of the higher places that i've seen about a prominent outlet with the hawks most conversations i don't want to say all most conversations nationally with people at prominent outlets have the hawks kind of in that you know late come sort of competitive toward missing the play-in but somewhere in that six to eight range is where i've generally seen the hawks most places like everyone acknowledges I think for, for the most part that the Hawks have a good chance of not being in the play-in but also the simple math is there are seven eight maybe even nine depending on how you feel about the Bulls teams that are competing for, for six spots and generally speaking I'm pretty confident that, that a good team this year is going to be in the play-in maybe even two good teams are going to be in the play-in this year now the Hawks won the play-in last year they are better on paper than they were last year and last year did not go well but 
anyway, you can be a good team in the East. You, you could win 47 games, I would say. It's probably maybe the cap on that and still be in the play-in, but there's definitely going to be a good team or two in the play-in this year. But Pelton is pretty high on the Hawks compared to a lot of the projections out there in terms of the placement. Um, and listen, if the Hawks can be a top 20 defense, you got to like what the team's going to look like. Even if they step back to five or six on offense, that combination of a top five offense and a top 20 defense is a good basketball team. And it's just a reminder, again, of how difficult it is to win when you have a bottom five defense like the Hawks did last year. So that's part of the calculus there. But uh, they're going to have to perform at a high level. And I think that there's pretty pretty good optimism when it comes to uh, how things are going at this stage. All right. First mailbag question on today's show. I've been holding for a while. It's time to unload it at this stage. And it comes from Bobby. So it was actually a quote tweet that was uh, added in my direction a couple of weeks ago. And it was essentially framing this poll done by Mike Scott of Hoops Hype. And the question is basically, can you believe this? And tell me I'm not crazy. You think this list does not make a lot of sense. So I'll take you behind the curtain here. Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype published this poll about two weeks ago, maybe maybe even longer than that. And Mike is very good. It's not his fault. He did not produce the results. He just asked the questions. Um, the conceit is that Hoops Hype polled 15 people they describe as NBA executives and asked them to rank their top five players under 25 to build around, notably, to build around in the future. Hawks fans were very mad about this. And by the way, so was I. I'm not someone that's going to rant and rave if you're a new listener for this season, uh, I'm not a huge homer. I'm going to tell you what I think objectively. I try to cover the team in objective fashion and like not super fanboy kind of thing. But I thought this is a pretty ridiculous ranking of Trey Young. So no huge surprise at the top. It was Luka Doncic, it was Jason Tatum, and John Morant in the top three. I know, you know, there are arguments on all sides there. I would still have Trey over Ja, and I say that all the time on this podcast. It does not know. I will say that it's, it's definitely not crazy to have Ja ahead of Trey. That's fine. You can argue about that if you want to. That's not the focus of this of this uh, outrage, in my opinion. The list from there gets pretty dicey. So after those t- that top three, it is in this order. Evan Mobley at four, Anthony Edwards at five, Zion Williamson at six, Scotty Barnes at seven, Lamella Ball at eight, and then Trey finally at number nine overall in a tie with Darius Garland, and then Kate Cunningham after that. So there are lots of issues here. I could do a, a long podcast on this, but I will just do this kind of quickly. So I'm very high on Evan Mobley, and this is still probably too high for me about Evan Mobley after one season. Um, he's going to be really good. I like Evan Mobley a lot. This is pretty aggressive. Um, not in a way, at least this is a future-facing list. You know, I've kind of said a couple times now on the podcast that Mobley's present-day rankings and some of the top hundreds are pretty crazy in, me, in my mind. At least in the future, you could say, like, building around him, if you believe that he's going to be, you know, mini Tim Duncan, um, this is not crazy. I, that's definitely too high for me, but I do like Evan Mobley a lot. I can at least understand the arguments for guys like Anthony Edwards and Zion for different reasons. You know, Ant, I was probably too low on coming out of the draft. In fact, I was definitely too low on him coming out of the draft. But he's that big wing that everybody wants. And Zion, of course, was like unbelievably good two years ago when he was playing. And he's still seen as a generational talent. I would have Trey ahead of both Ant and Zion and Mobley, to be clear. This is not completely insane. I don't think that Ant and Zion are like indefensibly ahead of Trey. Um, I think Mobley had a trace pretty bad at the stage, but where it gets completely off the rails is the next two guys. So I am definitely lower on Scotty Barnes than some. I will own that. I cannot imagine having Scotty Barnes ahead of Trey Young on this list. That is not based in reality in my mind. Uh, I guess the argument would be that Barnes is bigger and a better defender and he's super young. I understand that. I don't see those guys as comparable prospects. I think that Scotty Barnes will never be as good as Trey Young has already been. 
uh, in my mind. Now, is that is it possible I'm wrong about that? Sure. But I think that Trey has proven so much more that I don't really understand that ranking. But the single worst one in my mind is LaMelo Ball. Now, I've always liked LaMelo Ball. That's the funny thing about this. I had Melo ahead of Anthony Edwards in that draft class, which is, I think, wrong at this point. I would rather have Ant now. But um, I've always liked Melo. He's a big-time talent. He was legitimately good last season. At the same time, I don't understand a world in which anyone would have him over Trey right now. Like, yes, he's younger than Trey, but they're the same position. They have similar strengths and weaknesses, and Trey is just better across the board, basically, than LaMelo Ball. Now, LaMelo is bigger, and he's a better rebounder and a better defender kind of by default because Melo is not a good defender at all. He's better than Trey because he's just bigger, but he's pretty bad defensively, and only because of Trey's weaknesses is he better there. On offense, it's not even close, honestly. And LaMelo is really good on offense, but there's not really anything I can think of other than rebounding that Melo does better than Trey. Like, Trey's a better shooter. Trey's a better passer. He's more established. The numbers are what they are. Like, I don't really understand. That that head-to-head, like, at least with the cross-positional stuff, if you are just the biggest Scotty Barnes stand in the world, you could say, look, that position, that archetype is more valuable. I wouldn't agree with you, but at least, like, you can kind of make an argument. Point guard versus point guard, I don't really understand LaMelo over Trey. That's a baffling choice by multiple people. I mean, you, you don't end up with a guy like that. This is a list that's not made by one person. This is a rank, This is a, uh, a poll combined. So that's kind of weird. Similar with, with Darius Garland, by the way, who, the, who Trey is actually tied with on this list. Darius Garland's really good. I don't understand an argument for Darius Garland over Trey Young. That doesn't make any sense to me because Garland's a bad defender too, and Trey is pretty obviously better on offense. So what, what are we doing here? Anyway. Um, and also before I move on quickly, this is not, this is a, not a Hawks thing, but I think Kate Cunningham is too low on this list. He should be behind Trey, but he's a better prospect than Barnes for me and ball for me and maybe a couple other guys as well. Anyway, another story there, but that's a, um, I understand the outrage. A lot of these lists are like kind of concocted to produce outrage. We'll talk about, um, top 100 lists at some point in the next couple of weeks. I'm trying to save that for later on. But uh, those are definitely built for outrage. And uh, I will give you my thoughts on kind of where a couple guys were on the Hawks on those lists. But yeah, this is one I've been holstering for a while, but I uh, thought that was a very ridiculous ranking for Trey Young. You can be low on Trey. I do understand the weaknesses. Trust me. I've talked about him every day of his career, basically. But uh, there is no argument where he's not a top four or five guy in terms of building around for the top 25, much less number nine and behind guys like LaMelo Ball and Scotty Barnes. That's ludicrous. Okay. One more break now to hear from our sponsors on today's podcast. We'll have more in a moment, but first, that break. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is, of course, here in a big way in October, and Bet Online is the number one source for all of the pro and college football news you might be having this year across the board. That includes the latest developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts at Bet Online, and they have all the content that you need for the weekend slate in pro and college football. Bet Online is also a continued source for wagering information that includes live betting. And esports and live scores, but online is the fastest and the easiest way to consume every sport you have interest in at this point in time. And on this show, we talk about the NBA. Um, there are plenty of future odds out there between season, season win totals and conference odds, division odds, title odds, individual award odds, now game odds as well, and much more beyond the NBA. But online has odds and lines on college sports and MMA, and baseball, boxing, golf, tennis, auto racing horse racing, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. Head to online right now on your computer or mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and a question from Zach Goodman, who says, if this is the year on Nika Kongwu Pops, what happens with Capella? You mentioned that the Hawks did not draft O to be a backup. If he shows he can be a starter, 
what is the optimal situation for Capella? What is the most likely situation for Capella? And he's got three more years on a contract. Is it movable? Will the front office trade him for depth elsewhere? And if so, what positions? Would Clint be willing to transition to being a backup? Is he that kind of guy? And uh, lots of questions in here, obviously. This is definitely the age-old question when it comes to Onyeka and Capella, but for new listeners, and I probably refresh this a little bit, it's a great problem, quote-unquote, to have, to have two really, really good centers. I still believe Capella is a top-10 center in the league. He's, a, he's that good. He looks good this year so far. Defensively, he's extremely valuable. I know that some Hawks fans don't love Capella. I think that's probably be, a lot of it. It's because of Okongwu. And listen, he's not the greatest offensive player in the world. I do understand that, but he's got a lot of value there because with, with his screening and his uh, and his rebounding, et cetera. But no matter what, it's a great problem to have, to have both these guys. I said it before, but the Hawks don't have a player like Jokic or Embiid. I do understand that. But basically, no team in the league has a backup like a Kongwu. And with Capella already being really good, you know, you could argue that like 48 minutes of center for the Hawks, they are in a sort of in the, in the elite category there. Because yes, you'd rather have Jokic and anybody versus Capella in a Kongwu, but there are still eight to 12 minutes a game where Jokic is going to be on the bench. And the Hawks have a huge advantage there with the Kongwu versus whoever the backup is for the Sixers or the Nuggets. Anyway, to the questions. I have said several times, by the way, that, that Hawks did not plan to draft a Kong Wu and have him still be a backup in year three. Now, there are two reasons for that, basically, as to why he's still in that role now. One of those reasons is that a Kong Wu has had the injuries and he's played less than 100 games in his career across two seasons in the regular season. So the other one and the bigger one in real life, probably, is that Capella has been so valuable to the Hawks that they have not been able to move off from him with any they sort of decide to move on from him. So. Again, I know there's a contingent of Hawks fans that don't really buy it with Capella and want to see Okongwu. I don't blame you. Okongwu is awesome. But Capella is, again, maybe the best rebounder in the league. One of the best five for sure. He's an excellent defender. He can command, he can, he can command the defense. He's a very valuable screen setter and pick and roll partner for Trey Young. Trey really values that, has said as much behind the scenes and in front of the mic. And that's been reported on quite a bit. So at least for now, the Hawks are at their best when they have both of these guys on the roster. And Capella is still the better player and the more proven guy now. Like, would it stun me if a Kongwu this season was better than a Capella? No, it wouldn't. But to this point, there's this narrative out there, I think, in some corners that, that a Kongwu is already better. That's not the case. Capella is a better player right now today than a Kongwu. Now, a Kongwu, upside-wise, sky high. I love a Kongwu. But anyway, having both those guys is really helpful. I do think that Okongwu has a huge chance to prove himself even more this year. Eventually, I do believe the Hawks are going to move on from Capella, if I had to guess. My broad view is that one of them probably won't be here next year, and it's more likely that it's still Okongwu being in Atlanta and Capella not. As far as the contract is concerned, there are three years left for Capella, including this year, at a decent clip, but a, honestly a bargain when you look around the league and see where the money is going. So he's making between about 18 and a half and 23, roughly, the next three years per season. It's a lot of money, but it's really not a lot of money with where the cap is actually going for the NBA. That's a whole different podcast, but like, look around the league of what guys are getting that are not as good as Capella. Tyler Hero has never been as good as Capella in his career at any point. And he's got 30 plus million dollars a season. So Capella, you could say that was kind of a risky extension on some level because he's getting older and all that stuff. But at that money, that's like barely starter money in the current uh, and sort of future facing landscape in the league. So that's a very, very movable contract. So basically to answer that question, like, yes, it's movable and trade very, very easily. As long as Capella is healthy and playing at a decent level, even last year's level or even below that, he's still a positive value contract on that deal. So 
Uh, yeah, very easily movable to answer that question. I don't think, like, barring a huge downturn, that the Hawks would keep Capella as a backup to a Kongwu because he's making that much money. He has real value as a trade piece. So if they were just, if they're deciding that it's going to be a Kongwu's team at some point in the next 12 months, I think that means trading Capella rather than benching Capella, if that makes sense. Because there's no reason not to do that. I think if you, I think you probably see that in terms of like stocking the cupboard elsewhere. The Hawks are going to need some wing help in the future. And obviously that's something you maybe could, could prioritize in a deal for Capella. And I think it might've happened already if Capella wasn't already so valuable and Okongwu had been a little bit healthier in his first two seasons. So a lot is riding on how Okongwu plays this year. That's kind of the, the main thing about it. And while I think there is kind of a ceiling on how much he's going to play, as long as Capella is healthy, there'll be games I would imagine where Capella is unavailable for rest or injury or whatever. And you'll see 35 minutes of a Kong Wu. And I'm sure people will be excited about that. I will be too. But I think that night by night, maybe 20 low twenties in terms of minutes for a Kong Wu. That's not all. That's not a ton. And I think that maybe as he spaces out a little bit to the, uh, with, with his jump shot, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, a little bit when he talked to the media on Friday, you know, I hesitate to assign him plus shooting. Now I do believe that he'll become a shooter in the future. Uh, I know he made the one three open practice, et cetera. He's got to prove it a little bit. And there are lineups where he can play some of the four this year. Like for instance, if they don't love what they're seeing from Jalen Johnson, maybe you kind of prioritize some lineups every game with a Kong with the four quote unquote next to Frank Kaminsky, who's more of a floor spacer. That does make some sense. Have a Kong play defense at the four and have Kaminsky kind of uh, be, be the pick and pop guy. Um, I don't think a Kong and Capella work a ton together. In fact, probably not at all, but defensively it'd be awesome. Uh, offensively it'd be tough maybe you want to play those guys with trey murray and bogey and kind of go super heavy offense on the perimeter and then throwing those guys on the back line defensively uh that would be interesting in some level so we'll see if that actually comes together but no matter what combo by the way will be restricted as a free agent in two years so the Hawks have to make a decision on him in fact he's extension eligible at the end of this coming season. So it's a big year for information on Okongwu. It's a big year for him to stay healthy, hopefully knock on wood. He seems to be in great shape. He seems to be ready to go and focused. I think the Hawks are going to have a huge advantage over most teams at center this year, 48 minutes. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, I'm super high on Okongwu. And I do think that in terms of like the transition will probably happen at some point. The Hawks do believe, I'm sure, that long-term Okongwu will be their guy at center. It's just that Capella's kind of just made himself indispensable, and Okongwu has not been on the floor just quite enough to uh, drive that away at this stage. So hopefully that answers all the questions. We'll have more in the future, obviously, on that topic. All right, that's going to be it for today's podcast. We'll have much more in the future, including game breakdowns. If you are new to the podcast, what I do after pretty much every game, if not every game, whatever I possibly can, but usually every game, I will do a recap podcast, whether it's on the weekend or during the week. If I'm traveling or something like that, I might combine two games into one. But for the most part, I will have full game coverage of every game. I watch every game multiple times. That's part of my spiel here on the podcast. That'll be happening on Thursday. We'll have at least one show between now and then as well. But the Hawks do open Thursday at noon Eastern. And that is a NBA TV game if you want to watch that game online or on TV or wherever. So we'll have more on that in the future as well. But uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friend about the show. The season is now nearing in a big way. The Hawks are playing an opener in 16 days as I record this podcast early in the morning on Monday, October 3rd. So spread the word. Help us with that. Follow the show on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. We'll see you next time.